0: a walking reading of the book, Knowledge To Live By, available at knowledge to live by and amazon.com. Your knowledge has been stolen. Quote, knowledge is power, end quote. Knowledge is power, power over those without knowledge. Knowledge resides in your mind, and your mind is you, your knowledge. So, knowledge is power, and thus knowledge that you do not have that you do not understand is potential for power over you. The knowledge that you do not have is knowledge that can be used to control you. Quote, We all have free will to make choices. What we understand we may choose. What overstands us may choose us. End quote. Wait a minute. All of your knowledge is chosen by you, right? So why wouldn't you choose powerful knowledge? Why wouldn't you choose the knowledge that can potentially control you or have power over you? Let me give you two powerful analogies that explain overstood and understood knowledge. The two analogies are used throughout this book and involve a fish and a hook, a fish and water. The question in both analogies is why wouldn't the fish choose knowledge of hook or knowledge of water? Both hook and water do just so much to fish, and fish does not choose either. Well, you, and Mr. Fish, do not choose it because you're not aware of it, you do not understand it. The fish does not have knowledge of hook in order to make a choice for or against hook. This overstood knowledge of hook, and a little bit of bait, of course, acts on the fish, fates the fish, impels or agents the fish, denying the free will of the fish, willing the fish. Like a hook to fish, our overstood knowledge chooses and wills us. Explaining your overstood knowledge to you is like explaining hook to a fish. This is going to be challenging, although I am up for it. Are you? A small fable, if you will. Another example of overstood knowledge for a fish. Quote, two young fish swim by an elderly fish, and one of the fish say, morning, sir, to which the elderly fish responds, Morning kids, isn't the water beautiful today? The two fish turn to each other and say, what water? Like the fish, you were born into and live in a sea of unknown knowledge, water. Where in your case, the water is unknown or overstood knowledge. You did not make it, you did not derive it. You were simply born into it. And even if you have some knowledge of it, you just accept it. Now the big question is, is it therefore your knowledge? Such as stated in the introduction, and like water to fish, the knowledge gene, the father one, and its knowledge species, numbers, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, and so on, was not created by you, from within you, no. It was taught to you. You were schooled, pun intended. Specifically, you learnt this knowledge, you inherited this knowledge. This is your sea, that is your sea of knowledge. Further, like water to a fish, you have not thought about this knowledge origin. You have ceased to think about its genesis, that is, the number one, or let's say, water particle for a fish. It is thus firmly planted in your head as absolute knowledge, or perhaps a knowledge ordinate. Okay, is this your, pointedly your, knowledge? Or is it knowledge that has been placed in your head, that you have been made aware of, or told is factual, absolute knowledge? Think about it. Now if it is your knowledge, you understand it and choose it at will. If it is not your knowledge, it overstands you and chooses you, denying you of your free will. As mentioned, there has not been one great mind of the past that successfully defined one absolutely. Is numbers thus your knowledge? Did you choose it? Allow me to assist you and thus bluntly state to you the knowledge one and subsequent numbers uh, knowledge numbers pardon me is not your knowledge and neither is $1 and subsequent knowledge money it is not your money you cannot say it is yours it is yours and you do not control it and it is your belief and only your belief that maintains its value you are born into both number and money knowledge systems both numbers and money are examples of prevalent water that you are that you the fish are submerged in yet you do not understand you think, no, you are so cocksure, yes, that's a word, that numbers is your knowledge and numbers are absolutely irrefutable knowledge. You think, and are so cocksorably sure, that money serves you well and you, your knowledge, your profession, and your labour determine it. Well, let me tell you and prove to you in this book that it, it is this certainty of yours, specifically certainty of yours, that survives the erroneous knowledge of numbers and money. You think that numbers and money are servant to you, when in greater provable fact, you are a servant. Yes, you are in servitude to the knowledge numbers, the knowledge money, and knowledge in and of itself. Money and numbers have power over you. Think about it. If I place $10 million in your bank account, would your life change? Most could easily say it would change one's life by 90% plus. Can we agree that you are in its control? Your free will is primarily, or at least 90% plus, willed by money, and it all proliferates from your belief in it, your very certainty of it. This is the same certainty that keeps fish from understanding hook, from understanding water, what robs fish of free will. This knowledge, certainty, and its agency ego is what keeps a fish a fish, and specifically what keeps you the same yesterday's you. Brain Box. Our knowledge dictates who we are. We can upgrade upgrade by being open to knowledge we are not. If a book bush blocks fire off, it does not reinvigorate. If a human blocks new knowledge off, it remains in its penitentiary of its own conviction, or in the penitentiary of its own convictions, and staves off the reinvigoration of truer knowledge. To have an open mind means to be open to new knowledge. Knowledge is power, and there is knowledge that has power over you. Allow me to further give examples to expose the position here. Let's turn to some wonderful knowledge examples that you undoubtedly would have come across, have knowledge of in your head. I will articulate the knowledge to you, and while that is happening, think about how the knowledge in your head compares to the knowledge that I present to you. Also, keep in mind how the knowledge I present to you will change the knowledge in your head. Let's do this. Commit this to memory. A definition of religion is the belief in someone else's experience with divinity. As discussed above, for the knowledge called numbers to exist, someone has believed in or created the number one and its counterpart zero. This may have been motivated by a divine experience or a eureka apple-dropping-on-head moment. For you then to have knowledge of numbers requires the following three steps. You have A, you have accepted numbers as knowledge and B, you have believed in someone else's experience with the divine, which consequently spirited them to create the knowledge number one, one emergence or the genesis of one, if you will. C, you have erroneously thought this is your, pointedly your, knowledge. So who the hell was this person who all of us numbarians are believing in? Who is this person we believe had the experience with the divine divine that consequently pontificated the knowledge doctrine numbers? Well, contemporary knowledge says it was the ancient Greeks. Let's assume that is the case. Does this make the Greeks the father, the pontificate of the religion numbers? By the above definition, yes, and thus we can state all indoctrinates of the knowledge doctrine numbers. Are believers in the Greeks, or perhaps believers in Pythagoras, the divine one, who self-titled the theorem he claimed he invented? Now, what if I presented to you with, sorry, what if I presented you with the knowledge that the Greeks did not divinely bestow the knowledge doctrine of numbers upon humanity, nor did Pythagoras invent the self-titled Pythagoras's theorem? A little open mind thinking on the notion will take you to the Great Pyramid of Giza, Egypt. Some wonderful contemporary thinkers have discovered an extensive knowledge of numbers embedded in the Great Pyramid. This proves that the knowledge of numbers and mathematics existed long before ancient Greece. For example, in the Great Pyramid, one, the sum of the two base lengths divided by the height equals pi, or 3.1459, etc., down to one-tenth of an inch accuracy. Two, the ratio of the hypotenuse to half the base width equals phi, the golden ratio. Three, the sum of two base lengths equals the, the distance the Earth rotates in one second. Four, it is an eight-face pyramid, four primaries, which make the visible four-face sh- pyramid shape, and four sub subprimary, which divide the primary faces in two. Each of the four primary faces have a slight concavity. This concavity is equal to the Earth's curvature. And can only be visibly observed precisely on the sunset and sunrise of the day of the spring equinox five it is aligned to earth's true north and the cardinal points north south east west down to one twentieth of one degree where the earth's true north is not the magnetic north both the north marked by the the star but the 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 north marked by the star uh, polaris six its coordinates are 29.9792 degrees north and 31.1342 east, where the speed of light is 299792458 meters per second. And meters are said to be discovered in the late 1800s. So the north coordinate specifically equals to the speed of light. And meters are said to, to be only discovered in the late 1800s. 7. It is positioned right on top of the Earth's land mass center, that is the east-west parallel and north-south meridian that crosses the most land on Earth, intersected in two places. One in the ocean and one exactly at the Great Pyramid. 8. It contains the dimensions of the Earth and Moon. One simply uses the mathematical technique of squaring the circle and the dimensions reveal themselves and so forth and so on was the civilization was this civilization of primitive not smart unintelligent copper chiseling barbaric nature on the grounds of extremely high lack of coincidence absolutely not to a modern open minded this civilization had knowledge of numbers and mathematics period and clearly and concisely many other things and the great pyramid serves as a message a timely expression an immortal statement or cache of intelligence from our ancestral brothers and sisters of just that a message specifically to future thinkers so with a little amount of thinking we can safely state that numbers and the idea of mathematics were well known and used by the egyptians so the age of mathematics can can be further understood by the question when was the egyptian civilization founded in terms of timeline the egyptian predated the egyptians predated greece by according again to mainstream knowledge approximately 3000 years The 3,000-year BC period onwards is termed the dynastic period, king and queen era, and pre-3,000-year period is termed the pre-dynastic period. So can we state that mathematics was invented in the Egyptian dynastic period between 6,000 and 3,000 BC? Well, no. Further thinking on the subject pushes this back even further. If we were to date the Egyptian civilization by the Sphinx, the 3,000 to 6,000 BC age blows out enormously. Archaeologists have found water erosion present on the walls of the Sphinx enclosure that dates it back to 10,000 BC. Some researchers professing as far back as 35,000 BC, where both times the Giza Plateau was probably not a desert but underwater. Think about it human beings wandering the African continent 35,000 years ago with knowledge of numbers and perhaps mathematics. It begs the question. How old is intelligence, and why is the mainstream view not in consideration of obvious evidence for a greater truth? Right now, imagine the idea that monkeys have knowledge of numbers or mathematics. Imagine monkeys had the ability to carve a 70-meter-long, 20-meter-high sphinx. They carve it in a rock that is highly precisely aligned uh, geodetically true east that serves as a very precise marker for the spring equinox. They immediately assume the identity of much more than your average monkey in your mind don't you think to have such knowledge in one's head and the civilization to develop support and pass it on is a long shot away from from our uh, ancient ancestors being knuckle dragging cave residing stone smashing ape-like tyrannical buffoons and no there is zero yes zero have a look evidence the great pyramid's purpose was a burial chamber for a despotic, tyrannical, toxic, masculine dictator. Oh, another little knowledge piece worth, piece worth of thought. Contemporary knowledge is that the Great Pyramid was built in around 20 years and contains 2.3 million blocks of stone with an average stone weight of one ton or greater. There are in fact stones weighing 70 tons. A little Egyptian maths shows that this is a building rate of one block every three minutes let's assume 16 hour days, at a structural accuracy of 1 20th of a degree, good luck with that. Today's leading engineers have been questioned whether this is possible today with no time restrictions and with modern technology. Not one has answered yes to the build itself, even free of time limits, and thus a three minute block rate is just out of the question. Why and who put this knowledge in our heads? Why is this fake knowledge an artifact in our museum? Image. It is a monkey's certainty that keeps it from recognising higher intelligence. A small digression. In light of this knowledge, we could even question the theory of evolution with human knowledge as a metric. Think about this. The Egyptians had knowledge of A, a spherical globe. B, a landmass centre. C, Earth's, uh, Earth's dimensions. And... Built an object technologically unbuildable by modern standards. One could argue on the grounds of chronological human knowledge, the theory of D evolution Once again, the knowledge Genesis has been erroneously attributed to, once again, the miracle Greeks. Note, the point is not in the knowledge that I'm presenting here. The point is that mainstream knowledge or contemporary knowledge you have been presented with, the knowledge is, is far from fact, and only fact when and only when you believe in it. And further, to believe in it is to cease to think about it. Yes, cease to think about it. This is the only way it becomes your knowledge, knowledge that sits in your head. If you kept thinking about it, you would have been, you have found what I have found, and it is, uh, it is not my knowledge. It is just where thinking about it took me. Brain box, riddle, what was the tallest mountain on earth before Mount Everest was discovered? Answer, the tallest mountain on earth was Mount Everest. We just had not discovered it yet. Quote, the earth was flat until someone looked. The ancients were said to be without intelligence until intelligence looked. End quote. The constellation of intellect and wonder etched into the Great Pyramid by our forefathers is not the point. An alluring one at that, pardon, an alluring one that that you would get... That, that pardon, an alluring one that will get you table-talk credit, but not our point. The point here is the power of knowledge and its power over you. What damage a knowledge-belief doctrine can do to knowledge, your knowledge, when it is believed in and consequently not thought about by you? Knowledge that the Greeks invented mathematics, as opposed to discovered, in our heads, when 20 minutes of thinking can prove a truth otherwise... Knowledge that the Egyptians knew very advanced mathematics and placed it in an immortal time capsule for future intelligence to recognize. Knowledge that numbers and money are beliefs and only carry value via our belief in them. This new knowledge gives rise to the need for unveiling a greater truth. Makes one rethink history. Rethink one's knowledge, doesn't it? How can it not make one want to know a greater or the greatest truth, truthful knowledge? Once one's own knowledge is proven to be a lesser knowledge, at this point, it can only be ignorance, that is, a will, your will, to not know a greater truth. Oh, I'll throw another one of your knowledge guarantees at you. Things in the universe can travel faster than the speed of light. This universal speed limit is nothing more or less than yours and its believers. Knowledge limit, period. Quantum entanglement, for example, proves that the speed of light is certainly not the, speed limit, not the speed limit of the universe. Albert Einstein called it spooky action at a distance, which should more precisely be translated to beyond Albert's knowledge convictions at a distance. What if I told you that lesser knowledge is rife and can be pointed out throughout our entire knowledge base? Yes, that's right. It is widespread throughout the knowledge that you have in your head, your knowledge. And further, anything specifically, any other opinion of this is no more or less ignorance and knowledge cheerleading, period, full stop. What's more splendid is that you do not even realize it. You think to yourself, what is this rubbish? I've been around for a while and there is not much new under the sun, as the saying goes. Well, I say to you, your response is just what is expected. Similar to that of a fish in water and hook. It is just certain of its certainties or just so certain of its certainties. The question to you always is, how certain are you? Brain box. Question. Tell me, what causes the heart to beat? A classic question of causality. Specifically, what is the original cause that causes the heart to beat? What is the uncaused causer here? Answer. Not one person has a clue. That's right. The primary thing that bestows you with life beat by beat, second by second, is a mystery. Common theories of the, of the cause of Sorry, pardon. Common theories of the cause are myogenic muscle and neurogenic nerves. Through these knowledge propositions. Oh, uh, pardon. Though these knowledge propositions presuppose an original cause. That is, the theories presuppose a cause in and of themselves to then be a cause for the heart to beat. So, that is, the theories presuppose a cause in and of themselves to then be a cause for a heart to beat. For the heart to beat. Just like if the sun did not rise in the morning, your heart stops. You stop. Trust me, there is plenty of new knowledge under the sun. I ask you to join me. I will enlighten you to a truer truth. I am offering nothing more than a greater, more enlightened truth by pointing out to you your lesser truths. Continue your journey with me. Let me show you some of your fake knowledge. Let me show you some knowledge genes, knowledge geneses, and their messiahs, their father, that you knowingly or unknowingly believe in. Be ready, you are going to be shocked, you are going to be rocked, yes certainly, but I ask you to join me first. In order to begin your quest, you must obviously trust my guidance. Like the fish at this point of our journey, there is no way you can possibly comprehend hook and even water. You cannot use your lesser knowledge to predicate a decision for, for unknown greater knowledge, of course, so you must trust. Like your new knowledge of Egypt, Numbers and their primordial mother and father zero and one, Money and its principle, the all-money super-axiom $1. Trust in, your, uh, sorry, trust in me to unveil to you some truer knowledge. Allow me to show you your current knowledge and some foundations it is based on, some of its assumptions it is based on. You can then decide what is fake knowledge and what is truer knowledge. You think the knowledge of the pyramids, the Greeks, numbers, and money is big? Wait till I show you the rest. You and only you must choose. Take that leap of faith first, and I will be your guide on a quest to the knowledge holy grail yes i have discovered the knowledge holy grail and i want to show you i did not stop thinking i kept contemplating i just asked so many whys and i found it knowledge is power and i have discovered the knowledge holy grail which will give you the ultimate power the almighty power of knowledge i f- i fondly invite you to join me first and foremostly if you are going to trust me as your guide allow me to introduce myself i am a knowledge archaeologist and we'll serve as your guide, your confidant, and we will quest together on the path to the knowledge Holy Grail.